Sports Talk. Melnick in the afternoon, TSN 690. Just uh, for sure give it to my parents, you know, going to save it to the uh, rest of the year and going to bring it home after. It's, uh, it's, it's for my parents. Were they able to watch the game? Oh, yeah, they were. They were, they were struggling before game, though. I was trying to explain how the NHL network working for my mom for two hours on the face. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't speak English. So. <laughs> uh, in case you're not listening to us on HD, which is now available, uh, Nikita Sherback saying his mom was trying to figure out how to watch his NHL debut in Toronto on Saturday night on the NHL Network. Took him a couple hours to explain how she could end up watching him. And Lekkinen after it. Hoped that he had his second of the period, but he didn't. And out front they go. And it's Sherback. Nikita Sherback, his first NHL goal in his first game. And he scores it with nine-tenths of a second left. 3-2 halves. And he scores a great goal, too. And even though Paul Byron is back tonight, uh, I, I like the fact that they're keeping him in the lineup. It's, it's going to be a big thrill for him to play his first game at the Bell Center, especially against a guy like Alex Ovechkin. Much more on the Habs and Capitals tonight on TSN 690 coming up shortly. Melnick in the afternoon. Welcome back. Along with Rod Francis and Mitch Gallo. Mitch Melnick with you until 7 o'clock. It's a pleasure to welcome back for the first time talking to us in the new year from the shutdown corner at Yahoo Sports and 120sports.com. Happy New Year to Eric Edholm. How you doing? Happy New Year to you guys, too. Doing great here. Just kind of settling out in after the first weekend of postseason football. Not the greatest weekend, uh, but you know, actually, still, still playoffs. Actually, the worst, statistically. It might have been the worst. It you was, right Rob. About that. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you just look at margin of victory, Eric, it, it was the worst ever, right, in this current format. Yeah. I mean, you know, three first three games i think everybody wasn't expecting a lot but we're hoping okay maybe one of the three will be decent competitive close something they weren't and then everybody thought okay the night game is going to be spectacular and for a while it looked that way but you know aaron Rodgers just put away the 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 new york giants who hadn't allowed that many points that many passing touchdowns that many pretty much anything offensively against that d and i just it was a sizzling performance, even without Jordy Nelson. All right, before we get to what happened on the field, in the last few minutes, uh, a couple of breaking stories here that we could uh, get into. Uh, number one, uh, you know, Rod is not overly enthused over the fact that Doug Marone is now the uh, next head coach of the Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguars, if you want to pick up on that before we move to Joey Porter. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, Seen as kind of an uninspiring hire in a lot of ways. He was on staff and he was the interim head coach after Gus Bradley got fired. You know, they went one and one. They probably should have been two and oh, showed more life than they had pretty much all season. A little bit more discipline, more of the style I think that they wanted. But I think everybody just kind of assumed that it was a token interview. You know, when, when he was uh, brought in by management to interview for the job, everybody assumed Mike Smith, the former Falcons head coach, I mean, sorry, the yeah, Falcons head coach would get the job, you know, Buccaneers defensive coordinator done a nice job there. I mean, uh, you know, Tom Coughlin had been mentioned, plenty of other names. So I think this is still considered a surprise, even though he was with the team and did a pretty good job down the stretch. Now, they've certainly got a lot of pieces in Jacksonville. It, it's not the, the biggest market. There's not a ton of pressure. I guess the weather's a positive. How do, how do coaches... And I don't know if Marone was kind of in demand, so I don't know how much leverage he had. But how do coaches view like a, a strong legacy team versus the amount of pressure and whether your owner is going to spend the money? Like, how do coaches make that ultimate decision when they're looking around at possible jobs? Oh, they look at everything. You know, real estate market. You know, taxes. Really, I mean, Florida's income taxes are probably one of the the things that 
you know, I mean, I remember talking to Doc Rivers years ago and how he was saying the Orlando Magic job was such a coup because of that. And, it, you know, it's funny to hear that, but, you know, we pick our jobs in some respects uh, because of our family, our financial situation, whatever it may be. I think NFL coaches do the same thing. Now, they obviously have to have football reasons to go there. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why he was attractive was that he probably convinced GM Dave Caldwell and, and Shad Khan, the owner, hey, I could fix Blake Bortles. Because when you listen to Caldwell at the end of the season at his press conference, he said, we intend to stick with him. We want to work him through his issues and make him the quarterback we think he can be. Marone's already worked with him. He's been there a couple years to see the good and the bad. So I think he probably convinced them that he was the best man for the job to do just that. Uh, okay, before the Joey Porter, something else has moved. The NFL says it will review the way concussion protocol was followed in Miami quarterback uh, in Miami quarterback Matt Moore's case during the wild card round. We all thought the same thing. I mean, uh, it was a surprise to 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 not see a head rolling around on that field after he was uh, run into, and uh, there he was. He did, uh, hardly missed a beat. Right. I mean, he gets hit extremely hard by Dub Bud Dupree, the linebacker for the Steelers. Everybody kind of winced when they watched it. Moore laid on the ground there for, for, I think it was like two and a half or three minutes is what I, I heard this weekend. I was watching the game, but not I didn't have my stopwatch out or anything like that. But he was there for a while. But he was only on the sideline for about 90 seconds before he came back in, and everybody's sort of just saying, oh, he's tough, and Phil Simms is talking about that. But then everybody kind of said, well, wait a minute here. You know, this is a shot to the head. I mean, chin, head, whatever, it's all connected up there. It's very scary. We knew that we know the new protocol. Was it followed properly? And if so, how could they do that? You know, how is it? How were they able to do that in such a short window there? So uh, I guess it's good to see that the, the review process, you know, is pretty detailed here and that there's a checks and balances going on. Well, I mean, we could see it transpire. Like, I, I was watching the game just like you were, and you could see the independent neurologist talking with Moore on the bench. They took his helmet from him when he went to the sideline, and then after one play, literally one play, they gave him his helmet back. He went into his coach's ear, Adam Gase, and was having an animated discussion with him, and basically he talked his way in. But the question would be, what? how do you clear someone after such a vicious hit in under five minutes? Yeah, that, that's exactly what I think the NFL is doing. Everybody had that question. You know, I, I hate to say it in these terms, but I think there would have been more of an uproar yesterday had it been the star quarterback, had Ryan Tannehill been in the lineup. It's unfortunate, obviously. You know, you're, you're talking about the value of a human life here and whether, you know, somebody has suffered a, a serious head injury. And, and there's a process in place, whether it's NFL journeyman or star quarterback. It doesn't matter. So it's good to see that the NFL is now sort of checking this thing. It doesn't sound – it sounds like there was a miscommunication maybe between – you know, either Moore just went rogue and said he was cleared and went back in, or the neurologist cleared him quickly, or maybe you know there was something else going on there. All right, and we mentioned Joey Porter. Joey Porter, after the win by the Steelers, was denied entry uh, into a bar in uh, Pittsburgh, apparently by the same doorman that he threatened to kill the last time he was there. So I understand the doorman not wanting him in. Apparently he was, uh, had been drinking, gone into a scuffle with the cops. He's been placed on leave by the Steelers. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I heard this literally as, as soon as I was coming on with you guys, so I don't know the, the details of it, but I did know that as of late morning and early afternoon, the Steelers had been checking on this and were doing their homework. And I guess the way to, to phrase it is that they were 
they were concerned about what happened. I mean, I think that's the way I would phrase it, talk, having talked to somebody in their organization today. You know, and they were worried that, you know, what they had heard was going to come true, that these are the facts of the case that you just laid out there. So, obviously, if it involves alcohol and violence, even in a, you know, post-playoff game celebration situation, it's, it's inexcusable in the eyes of, of, of the organization. So, yeah, it, it sounds like it, it might be the kind of thing that if Porter goes through some kind of uh, process of some sort where he proves he can, you know, stay sober, I don't know, or if he can uh, go through some kind of rehab or something, I don't know. I don't know what the stipulations might be, but you're right. I don't know that it's a – it almost sounds like it's an indefinite kind of thing. You know, the real summary of the game is we had the big three rolling on offense um, and we stopped the run on defense. And we do those things. We got a chance to, to win games regardless of circumstance, or situation, or opponent. Uh, we did that today. Uh, we weren't perfect, but we haven't been perfect all year. I mean, let's just be honest. It was enough for victory. We appreciate it. I don't know. Do you think uh, Mike Tomlin gets to change Terry Bradshaw's mind at some point about whether he's a great coach or not? Back back in the 70s, Eric, we had the big three on the blue line for the Montreal Canadiens, Larry Robinson and Guy Lapointe and Serge Savard. And I understand fans in Pittsburgh saying we got the big three here with the Steelers. I get it. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, those guys healthy, playing together, playing well, it's, it's going to make a huge difference. I mean, you could probably put an average head coach out there and win a lot of games with those guys playing well, but yeah, I mean, look, Mike Tomlin has his share of detractors who say he's not the best game manager, who say that his some of his in-game strategy and decision-making is a little odd at times or a little inconsistent is the way I would phrase it, but you know, he oversees the team. He's done so for 10 years. It's been very successful. People had these same questions about Bill Cowher at this same point in his career. And Tomlin won one. I don't care if it was with Cowher's roster or not. You know, I mean, he won one early on, whereas Cowher had to wait uh, before he could get that monkey off his back and before he could finally answer those critics. So, you know, there were a lot more lean years than in Cowher's day. This is a salary cap era. It's harder to keep those competitive teams together. They went out and looked like a machine early on before, you know, Roethlisberger got hurt there at the end and everything. So, yeah, this is a very good football team and one that's very capable of, of running through the AFC and making it to Houston. So, yeah, you'd think at some point Bradshaw and others would, would sort of see what he does. Still waiting, though, with this particular Steelers team. I mean, no doubt about the offense and, and the, the the big three you guys mentioned and Bell and Roethlisberger and Brown. But I'm wondering about that defense and how they'll perform against a quality offensive opponent. And I know they had a couple wins against decent quarterbacks during the regular season, but really want to see it in January. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you look over the second half of the season, their point totals on defense have been outstanding. I mean, they really kept teams down. A number of teams held under 20 points. You know, and teams, frankly, that you could have seen scoring 24 or 27 against them if it was earlier in the season. They have some young DBs. They were kind of working through some combinations back there to find the right one. And they seem to have sort of solved things a little bit. I mean, the pass rush was relentless yesterday. They really got after it. And you know, who knows how James Harrison is doing it at this age. And Bud Dupree, you know, even with the, uh, the the dirty hit, if you will, I mean, he's come on of late. And, you know, other guys have kind of emerged there. Ryan Shazier, as crazy as he is to go shirtless in that weather before the game, he comes to play when it's time to, to blow the whistle. So they've got some guys there who can play football defensively. They're starting to get an identity a little bit. But you're right, until they stop a New England or something or even slow down, 
a Chiefs team with a lot of playmakers, I think those questions still will persist. With Eric Edholm of the Shutdown Corner at Yahoo Sports, 120sports.com, with us talking NFL every Monday and Friday after 4. More on the Habs and Capitals uh, after 4.30 on Melnick in the afternoon on TSN 690. That's three in the last, uh, you know, calendar year or so, a little more than that, but uh, it's fun every single time. It's fun. Yeah. Green Bay at the 42 of the Giants. Shotgun snap to Rodgers. Backpedals. Now winds up. Moves up. Arching spiral pass. It'll end up in the end zone. It's a jump ball and it's caught. It's caught. Back in the end zone. It's caught. Randall Cobb an over the shoulder catch on a jump ball under the crossbar. The Packers have scored. Uh, much like the Detroit one, there was a, um, you know, I think a misjudging of the, of the ball uh, where it was going to come down. Uh, when it's that high, it is tough to judge for the receivers and the defensive backs. Um, and it, as there was a cluster there, uh, Randall just kind of slipped uh, slipped to the back. Anatomy of a Hail Mary right there, Eric. There isn't anybody, anybody who wasn't thinking the same thing. And if there's one guy in the league who could pull this off, and you, you expect him to pull it off heading into the half, it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? Going back to the Detroit game last year, the miracle in Motown, uh, everybody saw the way that game ended. It was insane. Basically, he had two Hail Marys in that playoff loss to the Cardinals. The one on was at fourth and 20 from his own end zone or whatever, just to get it to midfield to set up the, I mean, the second one. It's unbelievable. You know, and then, and it's not, yes, there's a luck factor involved. Uh, yes, they do practice it. You know, a weekly basis. They said they look on Fridays. They'll they'll throw those balls up. They work on placement. They work on hand positioning and all that stuff. I mean, I think there is a skill to it. And and as McCarthy noted after the game, it's the arc of the ball. You know, anybody can throw it from that point of the field into the end zone. But to put it where the defensive back almost has to reach over their head behind them almost to knock it down. That's the key for me. And Cobb just slipped behind the defenders. Eli Apple, the rookie, was standing there with his hands, I don't know, on his shoulders. What was he doing? But, I mean, to me, it was just, it was as much, you know, skill as it was luck, I would I would think, on that play. Not, not to belabor this play, but regardless of whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Matt Moore throwing the ball, defenders, if you're a DB, you don't let a receiver get behind you, Eric. I mean, it's it's drilled into everyone at practice, so that was a huge flaw. Um, and that being said, in the third quarter, after the Giants stopped the Packers on fourth and one, they had a terrific drive. They were only down by one point in the third quarter. How did New York let it get away from them at that point when seemingly they have the momentum and are within a point? Yeah, just going back to your first point on, on the Hail Mary. I mean, when was the last time you can remember a defensive back being called for, for pass interference in one of those plays? Oh, it never happened. I, I honestly cannot. I can't remember one. So. I'm not saying you should you should give them a haymaker, but I mean you can get away with almost anything on those plays because everybody's watching the ball, right? I know the back judge has to be there, but think about that. Then you know that's the, the technique I think they should be taught is that they can box out. So you're right, get, letting Cobb back there is crazy. And then that's the other point that I think people have kind of forgotten was how close this game was in an eventual blowout. And credit Rogers for for pouring it on at the end. But you're right that that stop uh, on fourth down there. An incredible series by Land and Collins. Collins stopped Rakowski three times on that series. You felt like, wow, the Giants just got momentum back. How did they do that? You know, I mean, they dominated the first quarter, felt like they should have been up at the half, and yet they were down, and then they get to the situation, and they just can't convert. Drop passes, 
you know, Eli Manning cooling off in the second half, the defense playing its worst half of football, I think, of the season, or at least since, you know, in the last two or three months. That, 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 all, that combination of it just let it get away. It started before the game, though. It happened early, and, and it did a great job at putting it in, in people's uh, mind that, okay, now if the Giants lose, it's because you went to Miami. It doesn't really connect to me. That, that's, that's for you guys to figure out. Uh, that, of course, Odell Beckham. And as we pointed out before you join us, Eric, a New York Post has been waiting for this. Uh, yachts all, folks. Giants sink. Odell stinks in blowout. <laughs> shipwrecked with a picture of the boys on the boat. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this, if this story wasn't tailored, man, as ridiculous as it is, right? I mean, let's, let's all be honest. A player or players spending time on a boat on their day off is not the reason in and of itself that a player drops passes on Sunday. However... You know, as he, as uh, Beckham noted, you know the story grows, and that pe- when people find this stuff out, they start to question it, and then that becomes the distraction. The talk of the story becomes the distraction, and then you know you can go out there shirtless before the game and act like a goofball and all this stuff, but you know everybody was still thinking that, even if it was ridiculous to think that a you know, a, I mean, if they were in Secaucus, New Jersey, at a movie theater, would anybody care? <laughs> no. However, you know, the Miami, Beaver, Trey Songs, all that, it just has a, a feel to it that is wrong. You know, nobody can picture Tom Brady as famous as he is going out there. But I don't know if that's fair or not. That's just how people view that stuff. And I, I, I don't want to, for those wondering, well, what about the Daily News? Abandoned ship, Big Blue's party <laughs> boat hits iceberg in Green Bay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I love that. What was the old Nick? player who said the ship be sinking i think that was you know i, I saw somebody invoke that one the other day that that that's an all-time classic too uh, the greatest one and i had it headlined uh, i had it framed and laminated but uh, uh, my wife at the time wouldn't let me put it up in our home so i brought it to work headless body and topless bar <laughs> so, that'll never be topped nah, no, they made a movie out of that anyway i'm i'm oh. uh, i'm i'm pulling for matt ryan here you we've talked about matt ryan a lot uh with you over the years and how things don't get done at this time of year and maybe this is it's obviously a, t- a difficult assignment what are your initial instincts about this matchup in atlanta yeah i mean this is if matt ryan is your mvp and, and everything's kind of sort of pointing that direction based on the votes for the, the you know the all all pro team and things like that you know, we've seen Brady go out there and have a brilliant performance. We've seen, uh, and I think he'll play before that Falcons, you know, he'll play Saturday night. So, um, you know, Rodgers has done his magic now. We've already seen him, you know, light it up in the postseason. Guess what? This is Matt Ryan's stage here. I mean, this is this is the guy who's 1-4 and four in the postseason going up against 8-3 and three, Russell Wilson. Even if you hate quarterback records and all that stuff and think it's a silly stat, who cares? I mean, players judge their own careers based on their postseason success. You know, and so for Matt Ryan to be at this stage of his career, 32, 33 years old, coming off his most consistent season, this is the stage to do it against the defense that, even without Earl Thomas, people regard as one of the best in the NFL. So I can't wait for this matchup and think. This could be the the sneaky fastball of the uh, of the four games this weekend. I was thinking watching uh, the Raiders in Houston on on Saturday, and they showed Mark Davis. And when he took over the team after his father's passing, they were in such disarray. And I don't know how much credit Mark Davis deserves through this. Uh, the fact that the Raiders are, are back and, and established despite the loss, and 
They've got their quarterback. They've got so many significant pieces. Unfortunately, such a shame that Derek Carr couldn't be out there on Saturday. And now with the team seemingly on its way to Las Vegas, just isn't it a shame for Oakland fans and for those that, that Raider Nation that they're going to be watching this team in the playoffs against Houston with, with a quarterback, a fourth-round rookie that just couldn't move the ball. It would have been so nice if they had had their actual team out there. Yeah, and, you know, that, that point is absolutely true. I mean, it was like, you know, Jack Del Rio could do no wrong the first, you know, 13 games of the season. You know, he leaves his quarterback at a game that was still in some doubt. I have no issues with that. But that was the first time he was questioned all season. Car goes down. It's a terrible injury. And then McGloin gets hurt after that. The question I have, not to shift gears slightly, but, you know, why wasn't Matt McGloin playing? I mean, he practiced during the week. He was dressed for the game, clearly was healthy enough to be in uniform. Uh, and yet, I, I don't know, I don't want to draw too many you know, connections here or anything like that, but Connor Cook clearly has been the third quarterback since training camp. I mean, he had a bad preseason. You know, there was a reason why he was number three behind McGloin. I understand there was an injury, but McGloin was healthy enough to be active. Shouldn't he have started that football game, and why did they not go to him? I don't know if there's some other rift there or something going on, but I had that question throughout because early on, Cook was being asked to throw screens, and it just—it was never going to work the way they, they wanted to execute that game plan. So I, I'm, I'm left with that question. And finally, uh, Eric, and we thank you for the uh, for the extra time today. A lot to cover. Uh, normally, sure. uh, w- normally we'd have Alabama Clemson tonight, but we've got the Canadians and Washington Capitals. What are you what are you specifically looking for tonight? Oh, I mean, this this is Deshaun Watson, the Clemson quarterback, his opportunity to shine on a huge stage against what some people regard as one of the best college defenses ever. I mean, this Bama defense could go down. Every single starting member and some of the backups, too, could be drafted into the NFL. Insane pass rush, great pass, you know, great defensive line. You know, Watson was brilliant last year against them in the, in the championship game. It just came up a little short. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Clemson finds a way. As good as this Bama team is, they've got a freshman quarterback. They've got some issues at corner. I, I, I have a feeling about, about Clemson's ability to come through in this game, but this is a Bama machine that just they take care of business. So, uh, you know, they, they, don't, they don't lose. I mean, that's, that's the one thing you can definitely say about them. Uh, enjoy it. We'll talk on Friday about the games coming up on, uh, on Saturday and Sunday and, of course, some more news that will break, no doubt, between now and Friday. Thanks, as always. All right, guys, see ya. Rodgers from the 42 of New York, fourth down and two. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield, scrambles right. Now, winds up, rainbows into the end zone. It is caught. Yes. The fly to the end zone. Yes. Randall Cobb. 